Hey, it's Craig. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Canadian History X early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Greetings and welcome to another episode of Canadian History X. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can. Just go to patreon.com slash Canada EHX. Today on the podcast, I'm interviewing historian Tim Cook. He's a historian with the Canadian War Museum. He's written several books on Canada's war history. And I recently read his book, The Fight for History, which looks at the last 75 years and how perceptions of the First World War, but especially the Second World War, have changed. It was actually a really interesting book to read because so much of our history with war looks at the wars themselves, but not the time afterwards. And this really opened my eyes to a lot of things. So we'll get right to that interview with Tim Cook. He's a member of the Order of Canada. He has written so many great books that you should check out. And he was a great interview. So let's go right to it. Reading the book, uh, one thing I saw that, that you talk about a lot is that, and one thing I never thought about was how different the public response to the second world war is, especially after it's done versus the first world war. So is that just because people are maybe getting war weary? Uh, if you look at first world war, everybody knows Vimy Ridge, uh, Passchendaele, the battle of the Somme, second world war. Okay. People know Dieppe, D-Day, Korea. Most people can't even name a battle. So, are people getting war weary? Is that why the response is so different as you go through these wars in the first half of the 20th century? I think the Great War was a traumatic shock to our nation. If we think of the incredible contributions of Canadians, uh, 620,000 who served, that's from a country of 8 million, about one in three adult males. Uh, we fight uh, overseas. The Canadian Corps becomes a great nationalizing symbol the four divisions coming together, fighting at Vimy, capturing the ridge. Um, you know, Sir Arthur Curry taking command of the Corps in June of 1917. And, and that war really changes us. We step out onto the world stage. It also nearly destroys us through the conscription crisis mm -hmm. and, and as well through the terrible losses, more than 66,000 Canadians killed. And when we emerged from the, the trial by fire, um, Canadians were struggling to make meaning of that war. And, and the way that they turned to that was to build memorials across the country. And wherever people are listening to this podcast in Canada, I'm, I'm certain there is a memorial to the Great War. Every city, every town, every village, there are provincial memorials, there are national memorials, there are memorials in churches and businesses, there's Vimy and Beaumont-Hamel. And so that's how that generation made sense of the war. 
and they wanted to remember and that phrase, lest we forget. But the Second World War is different. And, and that was one of the reasons why I wanted to write the book, you know, the fight for history. I, I've written 13 books and, and I knew the, the powerful motivations of the Great War and how it re- resonated over time. And I wondered why hadn't we done that for the Second World War? Why didn't we have an equivalent of Vimy overseas? Why didn't we build a new national monument in Ottawa? Why did we just add the names of the fallen for the Second World War to, to those of the Great War for the most part? And so there was a very different impulse after the Second World War. And that story really hasn't been told before. And so in the fight for history, I, I start at the end of the war. I look at the incredible contributions of Canadians, 1.1 million who served, fighting around the world, in the oceans, in the air, and land campaigns, incredible home front contributions. And yet, very quickly, we left behind the war. We didn't talk about it. We didn't tell our stories well. Um, We didn't celebrate, and we moved forward into the prosperous 20th century. And and as a result, as I argue in the book, there was a great silence around our contributions. Um, You kind of touched on it, but... Canadians couldn't erect enough memorials after the First World War. Um, I did an interview with a guy who did a podcast called The Headley Boys, and they had a memorial done 1919. And like through the 1920s, you're getting memorials. Uh, so then, yeah, you see the shift. So why the shift in the after the Second World War where it's almost, like you say in your book, almost like just an afterthought of like slap the names onto the existing memorial rather than making more memorials? Yeah, I mean, that was really one of those central questions for me. I, I've been to Vimy, I've led battlefield tours. Um, there is a great power in standing on those sites of memory, those sites of mourning. And I had always thought, and I've been a historian for about 25 years, I've been, I've been to Juno Beach before the Juno Beach Centre was built there. And I was always surprised that there were not more markers to distinguish and to tell the world that it, there was a Canadian division that landed on D-Day with the Americans and the British. And again, that speaks to the story. We don't do a good job in telling our history and in teaching it as well. And, and part of the aspect there, as I recount in the book, when the Second World War veterans came back, they, they understood the importance of Remembrance Day and the poppy. Uh, although there's an interesting debate about maybe Remembrance Day should shift from November 11th to the 6th of June, or maybe the 8th of May or the 15th of August. And your, your listeners will know those are key dates, obviously, for the Second World War, D-Day, the end of the war in Europe, or the end of the war against Japan. They, they kept it uh, November 11th, as, you, as we know, although I recount in the book by the late 60s, uh, the situation was so dire in Canada that we had paid so little attention to our mil- military history that we had convinced ourselves we were a nation of peacekeepers, that Remembrance Day was almost cancelled. And, and that, to me, is quite shocking. Um, no matter the, the ebb and flow of, of the way that we remember war, that at one point, um, you know, 50 odd years ago, it looked like Remembrance Day was simply going to die out because nobody cared. And so that, this is a complex story I tell um, in, in the fight for history. And um, part of it is about the failure to build memorials, uh, places where we could come together and bear witness um, some of it is the failure to present our history in uh, on television or in comic books or in even in our history books and especially in film. 
Uh, I talk about the incredible importance of Saving Private Ryan and, and a generation before that, The Longest Day. Of course, both of them are about D-Day and they're both American stories. And I, I don't hold Steven Spielberg or other directors accountable. It's not up to them to tell the Canadian story, but I do think it's sad that we have done so very little to try to share our incredible contributions with um, new generations of Canadians and young people, especially. Mm-hmm. Uh, another really thing, uh, interesting thing in the book was you talk a lot about the division between the conscripted and the non-conscripted. Uh, so why was there such this division to the point where the people who volunteered wouldn't even allow the conscripted to join the Legion uh, in some cases till the 1970s. That's right. Yeah. Conscription during the great war had been terribly divisive. One of the most divisive events in Canadian history. It it pitted uh, English versus French, we know, but also city folk versus those uh, on the farms or the rural areas, which was more than half of Canada in 1917. Uh, organized labor against the government and and uh, other workers. Uh, conscription tore the country apart, and and the Mackenzie King government of the Second World War. Uh, you know, I've written a book on Mackenzie King as well called Warlords, where one of his primary motivations, perhaps his primary motivation, was to simply avoid conscription again. Um, he was forced into that in late 1944, and eventually about. 13,000 Canadians were sent overseas. And there was a very divisive, poisonous debate about that in the months leading up to it. And it uh, it was about those who served and those who had bled for victory and those who were slackers on the home front. And the, the conscripts, despite having been sent overseas and some of them having served uh, in Northwest Europe and, and several hundred being killed, many were tarred after the war as as having been forced into it. And uh, what's ironic about that is that when these NRA, uh, NRMA men uh, went overseas and they were sometimes derisively known as zombies, men who had no soul, um, they were quickly accepted into the infantry regiments because they needed they needed the manpower, they needed the riflemen. But after the war, there was, a, again, um, a sense that these were not true soldiers or even true Canadians. And, and as you mentioned, there was, a, there was a debate in Canada, which I recount in the book, um, and they were excluded from joining the Royal Canadian Legion. And it speaks to the larger question I talk about in the book, about the question of veteranship and veteranhood and, and what was owed to the veterans. Uh, we had 1.1 million who served about 45,000 Canadians were killed, about 55,000 were badly wounded. So that left about a million veterans. And and one of the questions I pose is, what is the debt that we owed to our veterans? And after the Second World War, there were all kinds of programs to uh, assist veterans called the Veterans Charter, which is really one of the most important series of legislations in our history. Um, But what we didn't do a good job in was remembering and commemorating. And so while we treated veterans relatively well, and some fell through the cracks, and and some were were not able to take advantage of all the benefits, for the most part, the veterans moved forward, and they helped to build up the country. And if we think of the legacies of the Second World War, if we think of the emergence of the social security net, um, if we think of the massive urbanization and the massive industrialization and Canada becoming a wealthy nation, that all comes from the Second World War and the veterans who helped develop our country. But what we didn't do was talk about the war for the most part. And, and the book itself looks at that 
that forgetting and that silencing, but then in a more uplifting way over the last 25 years, I argue, where we have done a better job in talking about our history, although there remains to be much work. Mm-hmm. Uh, with uh, with Americans and in the British, it seems like you have a lot of leaders who are writing their memoirs. Uh, in your book, you say right after the Second World War, there's kind of a flurry of books coming out and then it just immediately tapers off. Why don't Canadian military leaders seem to to want to put pen to paper, uh, essentially? Yeah, uh, you know, if we're talking about why we left behind the war and why we didn't celebrate it or commemorate it, or after a while even want to talk about it, one of the reasons is we didn't do a good job in writing about it. And I mm-hmm. I talk about in, in the book, The Fight for History, about, you know, how we failed to lay down our own history, our own work, um, think of uh, William Lyon Mackenzie King, our longest serving prime minister and our wartime prime minister. Compare him to Churchill, the preeminent historian of the 20th century, I would argue. Churchill has a great line where he said, uh, history will look kindly upon me because I intend to write it. Well, that's, that's a great line that politicians and generals and others should be aware of. Mackenzie King wrote about the war, but he wrote it in his secret diaries, which spans some 30,000 pages. Um, And the same extended to our generals. Uh, While Montgomery and Eisenhower and Bradley and others were writing about the war and and really solidifying um, what the Americans or the British had done, Canada's generals and admirals and marshals did not. And uh, I use as an example Harry Criar. I think most Canadians would have no idea who Harry Criar is. He was our general um, of First Canadian Army, and at one point in 1945, he commanded over 450,000 soldiers. That's a, a staggering figure, British soldiers, Americans, Canadians, other Allied forces. And yet after the war, when he returned to Canada, he was worn out, he had served in both great uh, wars, um, and he didn't write his memoirs, even though people were asking him, even begging him to lay down the Canadian story. And so even from the start, while the British and the Americans and then the French and the Germans and and all all nations began to write their histories, Canada did a very poor job in laying down that first foundational um, study. The the only exception is the army official historian, uh, Colonel Charles Stacey, who was one of the finest official historians in any country. Um, And yet it it doesn't seem to have sparked great interest or cultural uh, products that emerged um, uh, to document and to share the story of Canada during the war. Uh, If you ask Canadians, name a battle, they're going to name probably Vimy Ridge, nine times out of ten. If you look at the Americans, it's every couple of years they've got some movie coming out about war. I think there was just one this year, Midway. does Canada not celebrate its history as much as maybe it should, uh, especially given the immense contributions we did make through World War I, World War II, and into Korea and beyond? Yeah, I think so. Um, I've spent 25 years thinking about and writing about history, so I'm probably <laughs> biased there. But I, I do think you can look at the cultural landscape and see the failure of Canada, uh, especially in films, because we know that films have a tremendous ability to to shape perception. And I also think of television, high quality television shows, a band of brothers, for instance, when I taught at, at the university level, all of my students had seen Saving Private Ryan and band of brothers. And, and they would even ask me, well, what's the Canadian equivalent? I, you know, uh, who's made that? And I, I would always have to say there isn't one. We've never done this, not the national film board, not the CBC, 
not private industry. And I'm not naive. I know it's not easy to make films in Canada or high production uh, quality television shows, but we haven't really even tried. And I think that's the failure. Um, You know, the the good news is, and, and the subtitle of the book talks about the remembering and forgetting and then the remaking of the Second World War. I would say in the last 25 years, we have begun to pay more attention to our our um, shared history. Um, the 50th anniversary was a key event in reminding Canadians that we had thousands of veterans who lived amongst us. Uh, some of your listeners may remember that uh, thousands of Canadians went overseas and they were greeted as liberators. And they were, you know, the French and the Dutch had not forgotten the Canadian liberators of 1944 and 1945, even though Canadians had forgotten our own soldiers and airmen and sailors and the women in the in the armed forces. We had forgotten them. And but from that point forward, we can track, in fact, how Remembrance Day became um, better attended in Canada. And we see veterans who began to push, and as I, I as I note in the book, to fight for their own history and to share their stories. Uh, the Juneau Beach Center, which was erected on Juneau Beach in, in uh, 2003, was directly a result of veterans. The Canadian War Museum, where I'm lucky to work in Ottawa, um, veterans played a key role in raising money for that museum. We have more history books. We have a much more robust series of history books that Canadians can read. And yet there are still gaps, I think, um, in in our offerings, especially in in sort of mass culture, uh, television and film especially. But, you know, we've gone through cycles of remembrance and forgetting and remaking. And I think we're, we're in a period where we're paying more attention. But I think, sadly, it is at a point where we are now uh, left with fewer than 30,000 Second World War veterans. They're about the average age of 95, and we will be losing them over the next five or 10 years. And I, I wonder what that will do to our history when we no longer have eyewitnesses to the past, those who were there, those who can tell us these important stories. Absolutely. Uh, for the last few questions, we're going to kind of shift to talk more about you. Uh, so where did your interest in military history come about? Well, I'm lucky to have grown up in a family of historians. Both of my parents were were historians and studied history, and we always had books in the house, uh, great debates around the kitchen table. But I was like most young men. I was more interested in hockey and other things. And uh, so when I went to Trent University in Peterborough, I really went hoping to do anything but history, and I found I wasn't really good at, at anything else. Um <laughs> Uh, but how I became interested in military history was was through my professors at Trent, wonderful, gifted professors. I think of Stuart Robson and John Surratt, who, who really encouraged me to study uh, Canadian military history or military history writ large. I had a grandfather who flew in Bomber Command in the Second World War, so I'd always had a link. Uh, my parents had taken me to the Western Front when I was 17 years old, and I think um, if I could, you know, have one wish, uh, it would be that every Canadian has a chance to go to the battlefields, to to walk those silent cities of cemeteries, to look at the young men who lay there and have lain there for 100 years or for 75 years, to stand at Vimy Ridge, to be and to walk the beaches at Dieppe and Juneau Beach, to follow First Canadian Army 
through the campaigns and, and, and to understand the importance of the Canadians in, in clearing the Scheldt, perhaps the most important campaign of the Second World War for, for First Canadian Army. Um, this is the stuff of history. And, and so for me, I think it was an accumulation of events and then, um, and then seriously studying it. And I was lucky to win a scholarship to the Royal Military College of Canada uh, where I was able to study with uh, members of the Canadian Forces. I learned a tremendous amount from, from them and, uh, and have continued to move forward in there. And I, I believe I won't run through my full resume, uh, but, it, but it's, these are important stories to tell. And, and over the last 25 years, especially uh, with my time at the Canadian War Museum, I, I believe that Canadians want their history uh, but it's incumbent upon us to to present it to them and to make it readable in the case of my books or to make it accessible in the case of other cultural products. Uh, when you sit down to write a book on history, what, what's your what's your goal? Is it essentially to to inform people about something that they may not know about and kind of get to the, the nitty gritty details? Yeah, it's a great question. Normally, I work on two or three books, and I have a number of books planned out, and I'm always researching. I, I, I've, I've won awards as a, as a popular historian in this country, and my books are bestsellers, but I'm also a scholarly historian. I spend a lot of time in the archives, um, reading through the archival material, some of which has never been opened. Um, I, I love talking to veterans. I listen to their stories. Often when I talk to veterans, I'm, I'm, I'm listening for things I don't know, and I've spent 25 years doing this, so I know something, but there's always something new to learn. And so my last book, The Secret History of Soldiers, was about the ways that soldiers cope and endure on the battlefield, and that was for the Great War. Uh, and, and that is a very radical, different view of, of the history. And, and that, um, I know, resonated with a lot of listeners, um, people writing to me. My book on Vimy very much from 2017, I wanted to know why Vimy still mattered to Canadians 100 years later. Why did it still resonate? Uh, you'll remember in that year, 25,000 Canadians went back to Vimy Ridge. Um, that was an incredible, an epic uh, pilgrimage of sorts. And, um, and and my other books have explored uh, usually big topics, my two-volume history on the Great War, and now my three volumes on the Second World War. Uh, I, I try to combine the deep archival academic reading with a, a more narrative, um, I guess, Pierre Burton-like uh, writing style. And I have found that, uh, again, as I said before, Canadians want to know their history, I think, but it's it's really up to us to find a good way to share it with them. Um, absolutely, I uh, I really enjoy Pierre Burton, and I did find that your writing was very similar in that uh, it wasn't bogged down in like just technical details. It kind of gives it's a much better read. It's easier to read, and uh, so yeah, I really yeah, like I've I said, I enjoy. I've your book. always felt. Thank you. I've always felt those eyewitnesses to history, as we've been talking about the people who lived through those periods, it's important to hear their voices. And mm -hmm. of course, with the Great War, we don't have any veterans left, but you know, I have accessed thousands of letters and diaries and memoirs from those who served. And they were ordinary Canadians. They came from across our country, English Canadians, French, Indigenous, New Canadians, and the same for the Second World War. These were total mobilizations of our society, both for the fighting forces and on the home front. And they give us incredible ways to understand the societies of, of the time and the period. 
but always, for me at least, it's through the eyes uh, of those who served, and it's and it's to allow their voices to guide us. Uh, is there any one of your books that's kind of more special to you? Kind of the one that stands out among all the all the ones you've written. Well, that's a great question. I have thirteen books, and and they all mean something to me, and they all connect me to a time in my life. And my first book, No Place to Run, was about gas warfare in 1999. I was a young guy. I was about 28. And that book won the Charles Stacey Award for the best book in Canadian military history. So that kind of propelled me forward. Um, but Cleo's Warriors was my doctoral dissertation. It's on the writing of the World Wars. And, and that one, too, matters to me in a particular way. My, my, my kids were starting to be born around that period. And my two-volume history on the Great War at the Sharp End and Shock Troops really propelled me forward and, you know, helped me to break through. They won national writing awards. And so I won't recount each book, but each one matters to me. Uh, and, and they are, as we've talked about, they're driven partially by a question I want to answer or something I want to share with Canadians, or I see that there's a gap in the literature um, or it's simply something that has been eating away at me. And, and, and this, this newest book, The Fight for History, there's a little more anger in it than my other books, because at times I was quite angry that we hadn't done a better job in talking about our history, that we hadn't um, created a space for our veterans to talk about their experiences, that we had done such a poor job in, in, in telling our history and sometimes even in teaching our history. Um, and I think there's more of an edge to this book, and I'm already, um, it's only been out for about three weeks, but I've, I've had really great feedback from people saying, you know, thank you for this, uh, have a better understanding of what my father did, or what my grandfather did, or what my great aunt did during the Second World War, and for me, that's very gratifying to help connect Canadians to their own family history, but also their own community and to the national level. And, and I suppose to this international event, this international cataclysm that forever changed world history. And uh, last question, if uh, people want to get in touch with you, they want to read your books, they want to find your books, uh, wh where do they go? Well, I'm lucky that my, my books are published and available, I think in all bookstores. They're, um, you know, and through Amazon and, and chapters and, and, but, you know, support your local bookstore. That's important, I think. Uh, but I think most stores in the country have my books, uh, maybe the backlist you might have to order online. And um, I do work at the Canadian War Museum. So I'm, uh, I take great pride in being um, a public servant, but also a public historian is how I like to describe myself. I'm a historian um, who tries to share share our stories with all Canadians. Um, and, and that's something that has guided me and, and many of my colleagues. And, uh, uh, you know, the War Museum is just an incredible place to work. If you, if you have a passion for Canada's military history and its material culture and its incredible uh, photography and film and works of art, um, there can be no better place to work. And so um, uh, the question of, of Finding where I am, that's where I am in Ottawa, but I think you can probably find my books in, in most stores. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Tim Cook, and if you did, please leave a rating and review. You can reach me at craig at canadaehx.com. You can visit my website and find hundreds of articles on Canada's history, as well as all my podcast episodes. Just go to canadaehx.com.
And again, you can support the podcast for as little as $3 a month. Just go to patreon.com slash Canada EHX. Just like all of these wonderful patrons have. Aaron O'Hara, Robert Dunseith, Todd Casey, Catherine Roa, Luke S., Vic Hedges, J.P. Bear, Jason Hall, Phil Maynard, Spencer M., and Iris Gray. Thanks, and we'll see you again next time.